I was expecting another song there, so I'm a little surprised, but we're good. This morning, I wanted to start with asking the question, who are you? Up there it says, who are we? But I wanted to start with the question, who are you? And I find that our answer to that question depends on a variety of factors. Uh, where you find your identity and how you feel about yourself will really affect how you answer that question. So you may answer it, I am a, and share your job. Uh, you may say, I am a, and then share something that's your hobby that you identify with. Or, depending on your self-esteem, you may think of that question, who are you, and answer something like, I am a worthless screw-up. I am a liar. I am a fraud. I'm a person who doesn't belong here. And those last few messages are messages of shame. I don't know if you've read anything by Brene Brown, but she is uh, quite well known, and she has a lot of, done a lot of research in the area of shame. And she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. And she studied it, so I believe her. She says that shame is something that everybody feels sometimes. And it's basically when we take a message that we've done something wrong and we internalize it and we think, I am wrong. I am horrible. Instead of going, that was not good. And shame is something that everyone feels sometimes, but I feel like, and this is not based on a study, this is just based on stories and hearing from people, I feel like shame can be rampant in church. And part of that is because of the way we talk about humanity and ourselves. Part of that is because of the pressures, the values, which are important, but that we put on ourselves to be perfect. Here is what I should be accomplishing. Here is how far I am from that mark. Here is how horrible I am because I am not there. There is a theological term called total depravity, which I think has lent a little bit to the way that we think about ourselves and some of the phrasing that we use in church that can lead us to be overwhelmed by shame. Now, the concept total depravity is about the fact that we are totally humans and each of us affected by sin. That our world is totally affected by sin and that we are unable to save ourselves. But total depravity does not mean that we are inherently evil or worthless without God. Um, the definition of total depravity according to a theological pocket dictionary, I don't know if many of you have one of those, but I do. <laughs> total depravity refers to the extent and comprehensiveness of the effects of sin on all humans such that they are unable to do anything to obtain salvation. Total depravity, therefore, does not mean that humans are thoroughly sinful, but rather that they are totally incapable of saving themselves. I have mentioned already that we are in the season of Lent right now. And Lent is a season in which we take time to be self-reflective, to think about who we are. And in this case, to admit 
that we need God. That we are made to need God. It doesn't mean that we are worthless. It doesn't mean that we constantly need to focus on how we don't measure up. But it changes how we can look at ourselves and how we look at the world. In the book Made for Goodness, Desmond Tutu and his daughter, um, they talk about what it means to have been made to be in relationship with God, to be made to need God, and the fact that the world is not perfect, that there is sin. Uh, And I find it to be a beautiful book. And in it is this quote. They said, being made for God means that for us, they are both writing it, Uh, that anything less than God will not suffice. We are hungry for God, but we don't always know that it's God that we crave. Often, we are like the woman who stands at the open refrigerator door at 3 o'clock in the morning, knowing that she is hungry for something, but not knowing what it is that she needs, so she shuts the mouth of her hunger with something that merely stupefies, but does not satisfy. And it is possible for us to go through life with a longing to feel like something is missing, to be not sure what it is, and to be filling it with things that we think are going to help. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe this is it. Maybe this. And there are just all kinds of messages. Our advertisements alone like to tell us, oh, this is going to fix that problem. This is going to fix that. But having a season like Lent, where we are reflecting on ourselves, we are reflecting on, yes, our actions, and we're being honest with ourselves that we aren't perfect, and that there's something that we need beyond ourselves, I don't know. It's like being mindful when you go to the fridge and you realize, oh, I'm not hungry. I'm upset about this. Oh, I'm not hungry. I'm bored. Having a season where we can stop and reflect can reveal to us more about who we are and what we need and what we are truly longing for. And I believe that we long for God because we were created to be in relationship with him. We long for his kingdom We've been talking about the kingdom of God a fair bit in some of our messages and how it's like an upside-down kingdom. Um, In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he talked about blessed are those who are poor of spirit. Or um, he just talked about all these things that normally we wouldn't think would be blessed. We would think, oh, that's a sign of not being successful. It's a sign of problems. Even just our God the king of this kingdom, Jesus, that he came into the world to die, that he came in such a humble manner that seems upside down to what we think is powerful. And I believe there is a part of us that longs for that, for God's presence because we were made for it, for his kingdom because we were made to live in such a kingdom. So in Lent, we self-reflect. We, be honest with, we are honest with ourselves that we need something. That we don't have the power to change things. 
And one of our readings this morning from John 3, it explains this, but in a weird way. And I feel like if you've grown up in the church or if you've lost, watched a lot of Christian movies, it may not seem, seem as weird to you as when you think about what was actually being said, it seems really weird. So it's the story of Nicodemus, and I will read it to you this morning. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, I've seen people talk about this from a range of approaches, and because the story goes on and Nicodemus still doesn't get this, um, some people like to be like, wow, he's a little bit slow that he's not understanding this. Um, but I grew up in the world that had the term born-again Christian and explained a little bit of what that meant. If you did not have that idea, that would be a really weird thing for someone to say. And so I understand Nicodemus's questions. How can an old man go back and be born again? This is our life. This is the life we are living. What do you mean? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can ent enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Um, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And as I mentioned, the kingdom of God is this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom that doesn't make sense according to our world. And though we have a life already, Jesus is saying, if we are going to be in this kingdom of God, where Jesus is king, where he is ruler of our life, we need to begin a new life. We need the beginning of a spiritual life. Because we can't make it happen on our own. There is something that we need from God. And I see I don't have the next verses that I thought I had up there. Um, but later in the story, uh, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And in that reference, Jesus was talking about the role that he plays for us in our spiritual life. And it's reference to an Old Testament story about uh, the Hebrews needing healing and uh, a bronze snake being put on a pole and everyone needed to look on it and when they looked on it, then they were healed. And using this example conveys to us that when we look on Christ, something in us is healed. And in this season, if we can acknowledge our need for God, not our worthlessness, but our insufficiency, the world is broken. 
even myself, I can feel broken because I have this craving for justice. I have this longing for things to be made right. I have this longing to be selflessly loving. And I fall short. I tend to think about my own needs and my family's needs, and then I ignore those whose needs are even bigger than mine. So in this season, we acknowledge that there is something that we are being drawn to that we're not able to achieve on our own. And then the author of the Gospel of John says this. No, it's not up there. Right, forgot. <laughs> John 3.16. I am sure most of you have heard it before. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. These verses say everyone who believes in him. That it's not about the work we do or being good enough. But also, sometimes we have made it, belief is about a verbal statement or an alignment of thoughts. Well, someone taught me this theology course sometime and I thought that sounded good, so I'm set. I'm in the kingdom of God now, right? But if we need to be born again in a spiritual life to be members of the kingdom, that suggests it's more. And when we look at more of the readings that are scheduled for this day, this Sunday in Lent, the stories are of Abraham. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will become a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. So, Adam, uh, Abraham, because that was his name at the time, departed, as the Lord has instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. It's a short section, but it's really quite an amazing story. The Lord had said to him, do this. And he did, as he was told. Stepping out into this life that God told him that he had for him required faith. It required taking a journey with God and letting God lead him. It was not about being perfect. Uh, Abraham was not perfect. If you've read some of the stories, um, he certainly wasn't. One of my teachers in seminary, uh, he shared a sermon with us that he had entitled, uh, he had a sense of humor, this teacher, um, he called it, My Daddy is a Pimp. Uh, and he talked about Abraham and the stories of Abraham and how sometimes when he was traveling, they'd go into a country and he wouldn't want to say that his wife was his wife because she was beautiful. So he'd be like, oh, this is my sister. And then Sometimes the ruler of the country would be like, oh, she's beautiful. I would like to take her as my wife. Um, 
And so my teacher, he had this sermon with his, you know, sensational title, but he was basically like, this is our heritage. It is not a heritage of perfection. It is a heritage of imperfect people who are doing their best to listen God, to God and follow where he leads. It's about people not being perfect, but being God's, being holy. I know so frequently when I grew up, when people talked about being holy, I thought that meant perfect. But holy means set apart. It means different. And that is what Abraham was. He was set apart. He was God's because he believed when God told him and he followed him. His good deeds was not what made him acceptable to God. The Apostle Paul in Romans said, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. This is the gift that God gives us that answers the cry of our hearts, the longing that we didn't even understand. And that's why our church, this church here, Grand Valley, was founded to be a church for those who were longing to know more about God, but were deterred by tradition and boring services. This church, from the very beginning, was passionate about sharing the message of God. God who forgives sinners. God who wants to have a relationship with them. And they wanted to share that message in the most relevant and easily accessible way. People who were here at the beginning gave significantly of their time and their finances and their lives to live into this mission and vision of this church and introduce people to Jesus because they knew that meeting Jesus matters. Sharing Jesus with the city of Brandon was their mission, and they did their research. They even went door to door asking people what they wanted out of a church. Why don't you go to church? What is deterring you? I get very inspired by this story, but then I think how much has changed in the 30 years since then. We are in even more of a secular and skeptical world than we were then. We have more eyes on the church evaluating whether churches are safe places of accountability, love, and justice, or whether they are places that cause pain. This congregation itself looks much different than it did 30 years ago. I've been attending here for nearly a decade, and even in that time, there's been a lot of change, but especially in the last three years. Some things stay the same. We still believe that meeting Jesus matters and have a mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We still want to be a safe and accessible place for those who are seeking God, no matter their background, and to remove obstacles that might be in their way that don't need to be in their way. But we also have the challenge of figuring out what we believe God wants us to look like as a community now, in our current era, after the challenges that recent times have presented, not just to our church, but to churches all over the country and the world. Last month, 
after um, some time thinking of it apart, um, our board set aside a day to come together and pray, to read the survey results um, that many of you filled out, and to listen to one another and God, and to develop a vision of what we believe God is calling us to as a church today. And let's see if I've got my slides right. I do. So in our conversation, we came up with this vision, and it is a visual, very handy. Um, it wasn't like we like intentionally did that. As we were figuring it out, it became a visual here. And so we, first, the word connection is what popped out to us. Uh, just in our conversation, it was like connection is feeling like something that we should be focusing on. And then intentionally connecting to God. Intentionally connecting to our community, to the Westman area and to beyond and con intentionally connecting with each other and even other churches in the city. Um, and I added this little circle around it because the more that I looked at it and the more I considered all that I have read, all the th theology I have studied, and just what the Bible tells me, it is amazing to me that in each of these areas that we want to pursue connection, Pursuing a relationship and connection in those areas is going to help us in the other areas. Um, the more that we make space for God in our lives and in our church, the more we are going to learn the heart of God. The more he is going to change us. The more we will develop his heart for our community, those that he wants to know the message of what Jesus has done. But also, it will help us in our relationship with each other. Here in the church and other churches in the city. Uh, it is a frequent message in the Bible that we are united in Christ. That by Christ being our Savior, by him being our King... We are united. And I've mentioned before, uh, we're not great at it all the time. Again, I don't think we have to be perfect. Um, but looking at this visual, the longer that I did, I saw it calling for unity, love, and truly being the body of Christ. There is a parable in which Jesus said, um, I was thirsty and you did not give me water. I was hungry and you did not give me food. And his disciples said, when did that happen? I never saw you hungry. I never saw you thirsty. And he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me. going on the rabbit trail, and the teary one. Um, in the season of Lent, 
as I mentioned, it's a season of self-reflection. And I believe at its best, it's not just a season of self-reflection for ourselves, but it's a season of reflection for our churches. And some of the reading I was doing this week, um, I was reading about sin and how Augustine of Hippo, who was a very, very theologian for many centuries ago, um, and he talked about sin basically being curled in upon yourself, thinking of yourself. And I feel like that is a sin that we can so easily fall into as individuals and as churches. And I believe that this church started with a desire to not be self-centered, but to care for others and to give them the message of Christ. And I am blown away by you guys. Uh, I have, I don't know, maybe I just, I've been in churches all my life. Maybe I haven't seen it enough, but I am truly blown away by the love, the wisdom, and the care that I see by you guys in this church. And yet somehow we still manage We still manage to be self-centered. Not always. But as we spoke as a board and we looked at this visual, I think there was some conviction. Some what have we been doing? Um, and I want to be clear, this is not judgment. This is not me saying that we've been doing everything horrible. I think this is a continuation of the thing that I have shared before that God has just been saying over and over and over in my head. Um, the verse in the psalm that says, my heart has heard you saying, come and talk with me. And my heart replies, Lord, I am coming. And I feel like, I don't know if it's happening other places, it seems like there are things happening other places. Um, we had 102 people out here for worship on Monday of a bunch of different churches in Brandon. And afterwards, when I was talking to one of the guys that's been organizing it, he said that's the most they've ever had. The second most was last month there was 65. This month there was 102. And he was like, something is happening. And then I think of the things that I've been hearing from some of you guys when I've been having coffee or just... Um, it just, I feel like God is doing something and he is calling us to something. And this vision of being intentional about connecting, it feels like such a, such a cheesy term, like we've picked a, a fad. But the more I read about it, the more I realized that this is truly important. How, and it became even more clear how important it is for our time. And I read an article just yesterday, and it was talking about how important connection is in the Bible. And uh, he kind of spanned the whole book. But then he pointed out that at the very beginning, in the Genesis story, in the beginning of God creating uh, the planet and the people and teaching us about, you know, us. 
how we're made, our, our pieces. Um, it said that after Jesus created man, it saw that it was not good for man to be alone and so created for him a companion. And this person who was writing the article, I think is, I've got his name, up oh, this one, Jason Gabry. He talked about how we are created for connection, for trusting, for loving, for union. We long for it. And we're disorientated, fearful, anxious, and enraged without it. And he said, in short, it's not good for human beings to be alone, which is, of course, a callback to Adam. And he talked about God saying that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And then he pointed out something that I had never noticed before. And he said that this statement happened before what is called the fall, before the sin that changed things. And he said, this is a sign that maybe when we feel loneliness, when we realize that we're not meant to be alone, it's not a sign that we are broken. It's a sign that we are functioning the way that we're supposed to. It's like hunger. It's telling us what we need. And the loneliness of the world right now is astounding. Here's some stats. They're a little small, so I don't know if you'll be able to read them. This is just some of the stats about loneliness. But um, something that I thought was significant is the one in the middle that says, young adults are twice as likely to be lonely than seniors. 79% of those that responded to the survey between the ages of 18 and 25 felt lonely. 41% of seniors aged 66 and older felt lonely. More than twice as many younger adults as older adults experience feeling left out. 42% of people between the ages of 18 and 34 report always feeling left out. 16% of people aged 55 or older report always feeling left out. It's about even between men and women. 57% of men reported feeling lonely. 59% of women reported feeling lonely. People of lower incomes are lonelier than those at the top with higher incomes. 63%, nearly two-thirds of adults earning less than 50000 per year are classified as lonely. 72%, almost three in, this is an American thing, but 72%, almost three in four people who received health benefits through Medicaid are also classified as lonely. Then over here, there's one about underrepresented racial groups. 75% of Hispanic adults in the States, 68% of black or African-American adults reported feeling lonely. This was a survey before the pandemic. And from everything I've heard, it's only gotten worse. And yet, when I hear the message of the gospel, when I hear the message of what a church is supposed to be, connection is all over it. Relationship with God, loving each other, being united. And our world is broken right now. I thought for sure I would be under time and I'm over time again, guys. <laughs> this summer, um, I did basic training with the military and there was a lot of young people in the group. Uh, I would say 90% of the course was between the ages of 18 and 24. 
And I was sitting there one day, and I was just, it was like in a dorm room, so you're around people all the time. And I was reading this article, and it said a very like, high stat of the amount of Gen Zs that suffer from depression uh, and anxiety, I think. And I said, I, kind of because I was being funny, and just to bring it up, I was like, guys, are you okay? <laughs> They're like, what? And I was like, this just told me that 70% of you are depressed. <laughs> And they, honestly, they all just say, well, it's social media. Um, and I know as older generations, we can just say, oh, well, they should just get rid of it. But I can't even imagine just growing up in a world where uh, I was constantly felt the need to present a version of myself to the world and then get feedback of likes and comments. and that. It, it would boggle the mind, and we are seeing it. So through prayer and reading what you guys talked about, about our church and some of your heart and even some heartbreak over the years, we truly believe that God is calling, oh, there we go, that connection is what we are being called to. And this is not changing the fact that we believe that Jesus meet, meeting Jesus matters. This is not changing the fact that we want to be a place where people encounter God and there are not obstacles in the way. But when we thought, what is the vision of what we think God is calling this church to be like? It is the vision of a place where when people come, they can connect with God. Or just in our lives, we are people who connect with God. In our lives, in our church, we are people who connect with each other. We are people who connect with other believers. We are people who connect with our community. Um, this morning in our prayer time before the service, we were going through um, this 40 days of prayer for our city, and it was mentioning your neighbors and... Um, praying for three different neighbors on your street or in your apartment complex. Um, and I realized I didn't know that many. <laughs> I know my immediate neighbors, and I mean, I live on base, so I know plenty of people that live in my community. But I was like, do I know the ones that far down? Am I actually connecting with my community? And I didn't know. So we believe that God is calling us to speak to this, to be people who are connected to God and then people who are connected to each other and connected to our community and sharing that Jesus matters in that way, representing him in that way. So this is, I don't know, when we were fancier, we would call this Vision Sunday this is, again, just sharing. This is where we, we believe that we are being called. To figure out how to speak to this need in our community, in our world, and possibly in our own hearts. And I would encourage you that if you consider Grand Valley to be your home church, then we want to invite you to become a partner with us in this. I know some of you are partners already, some of you may not be, but if you um, 
if you believe that these things are important, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that is our mission. Our vision is being a community that pursues connection with God, each other, and the greater community of Westman and beyond. Then I would encourage you to join with us as a partner. Um, we have, uh, we will have it set up on our website that you can do it there. Um, we can also do it through email or uh, in person if you don't have email. Um, but what does it mean to be a partner? And there is the legal bit of it. Um, if you are a partner with our church, you have the right to cast a vote when it's time to elect our board of elders. Um, or for other important decisions that require a vote. Um, our AGM is coming up next month, and while it is, um, our board has set a budget, it goes to our partners for approval to say, yes, we approve this, um, spend the money in this way. Um, and when you sign up to be a partner, you are acknowledging that you will um, support and pray for our mission and vision as a church that you will use your spiritual gifts and talents to serve uh, one another in our community, and that you will give regularly and generously to support the mission of our church. Uh, partnership isn't a requirement for this to be your church home, but it's a way that you can join with us and say, yes, I believe that this mission and vision is important. I will join as a partner and I will partner as we pursue this. Um, I started this by asking who you are and how we would answer that. And I want to end by asking, who are we? Are we a people united by God? Or are we a people willing to pursue being united by God? Our elders believe that we are being called to be a people of connection, a people of relationship, a people of the kingdom of God. But sometimes it's hard. And so as I close today, I wanted to end with a blessing that is written for learning to love when differences divide us. I have been enjoying this book. I just got it this week. And it's blessings for the lives we actually have. Um, I have found it wonderful, and I wanted to share this one with you. This is a blessing to close this with. God, this is a hard one. How do I begin to love or even connect with someone so different from me? How do I bridge this gap? It feels just as wrong as the beliefs I abhor. Blessed are we who want to be a part of the wild and beautiful experiment to find common humanity, who, are willing, uh, who desire to come willingly into the gap that separates human from human, to love the stranger, especially the one we really don't understand and secretly want to set straight. Blessed are we willing to stay in the gap, in the contradictions of what we can't understand, to actively work on disapproving our own intuitions about another in order to begin to see what they see. 
Blessed are we swimming upstream against the current of our own human frailty, our fears and emotions, and willing to be wrong for a second, to reconsider and hold our integrity with kindness, desiring to see the lay of the land and play the course instead of the one we wished it could be, and to discover that humility is what makes change possible. Grace is never neutral. It works backwards and forwards in time, conspiring to make wrong right. Lord, I do not have all the answers as to what the world needs or what this church needs. But I do believe we need each other and we need you. And the only way we get either well is through Christ. You make it possible for us to approach you. And I truly believe you make it possible for us to love each other. May you be with us this week, this month, and in the coming years. Teach us how to be yours. Be yours in a world that is often against the way you wish it to be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, guys.